a Radio 1 91FM podcast. Right now I'm joined by Dr. Caroline Orcheston, a de- Deputy Director of the Centre of Sustainability here at Otago University and researcher with Project AF8. Morena to you. Morena, how are you? I'm very good, and yourself? Very well, yes. It's, it's good to have you back again. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so welcome. Um, right, I guess we'll go into what exactly uh, Project AF8 is uh, it's a well it's a multi-agency project um, set up to save lives in the event of the next big alpine fault event through planning and preparation and a coordinated response across the south island what what is the alpine fault i mean we all we all heard of it we all roughly kind of know what a fault is but what exactly is this fault what makes this mm. a major fault well yeah that's a good question so the alpine fault is a very long big long fault and it's what we call a plate boundary fault so it's basically a line in the sand between uh the pacific plate on mm-hmm. the east and the australian plate to the west and so the alpine fault demarcates the you know the the line across those two tectonic plates and it's a it's a big long um sort of six or seven hundred long kilometer long fault Mm -hmm. and it's it's a very sort of uh you know complex tectonic environment because it's linking two big subduction zones so you've got a a big uh, plate diving down underneath the other one down south and the same up to the northern part of the new zealand so it's a Mm -hmm. complex tectonic environment on which we live yeah um what kind of fault is it you know there are several different types of faults yeah, and i guess right. yeah. with that uh well different subduction uh, different kind of zones yeah. like you see plate mm-hmm. boundaries and um, what type of plate boundary is this one yeah so this is what we would call a transform fault which is basically sliding horizontally they're sliding horizontally past each other yeah but there is a bit of squishing together so there's a yeah. bit of compression happening as well and that's why we have the southern alps so the the pacific plate's coming in slightly obliquely to the australian plate it's squeezing yeah. the south island through the middle and so the southern alps are being popped up at about 10 millimeters a year in terms of vertical movement yeah still still growing still growing but a lot of erosion obviously yeah. so sort of you know i remember out. when that big chunk of cook yeah, yeah, back off. in 91, I think yeah. it was, or 90-something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it took off quite a bit, I remember. It, it did. It yeah. took the, the level down several, oh, well, tens of feet, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a big event. Um, okay, so, I mean, do different types of vaults create different types of quakes? And, mm. you know, do you have any yep. idea of what type of quake this will be? Yeah, so I guess, you know, when you have a big long fault, they tend to produce big earthquakes. Yeah. So you wouldn't get a magnitude eight earthquake on a on a local active fault around Dunedin, for example, yeah. because they tend to be shorter. Yeah. But when you've got a big long fault, it's all about the amount, the area of the fault that's going to shift during an earthquake. Yeah. And because you've got a long distance of the fault, then it, it's going to generate a, a large earthquake. Um, so we're anticipating, based on the way the Alpine has faults behaved in the past, that you would expect a magnitude eight approximate sized earthquake. And that involves uh, surface rupture, in other words, where the fault breaks the surface. You can actually see uh, damage along the fault uh, of about 400 kilometres. So that sort of takes you from Milford Sound right up to close to Hokitika. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a large area. And I guess the longer it is, the more, you know, does that create some kind of a longer radiating out mm. of, of, of the seismic wave as well? Yeah, it does. I mean, the, in, in the scenario we developed for the Alpine Fault, 
the earthquake will start somewhere around Milford Sound and uh, the seismic energy will be pushed up towards the northeast. So the direction of, of the seismic waves propaga propagating will mainly go up towards the northeast. Yeah. And of course. That's that subduction zone we were, you were mentioning before well, as well, isn't it? Not, no, this is. We, Milford Sound was selected because that's where the Alpine Fault goes off the coast and turns into the subduction zone, yeah, so yeah. out towards Fiordland. This is where the Alpine Fault comes on land, and oh, okay. that's the most likely place, we believe, that the fault could start. Yeah. The earthquake could start, rather. And then um, this will be felt widely across the South Island, so it's going to produce seismic energy sufficient enough to be felt in terms of ground shaking right across the South Island and, in fact, right across New Zealand. There'll be It will be felt in the North Island also. So you know, you're looking at a, I mean, a latitude that's roughly the same as ours. Yeah, so um, well, exactly. Not far off in terms of the scenario and the and the intensity of shaking that we that we expect, the most intense shaking will be up uh, up the west coast, up that as I described it before, the surface rupture where the yeah. fault breaks the surface. That's where we expect the greatest intensities of damage and shaking. Um, the the energy will radiate out eastward towards us, and so we we suspect well we predict um, shaking of around intensity five to six in this part of uh, the the island. Yeah. And that's what they classify as strong shaking on the Makali scale, so that will lead to some direct impact around Dunedin. What about, um, when it comes to us here in Otipote, what about tr triggering other faults? Because a major quake, yeah. is that a real danger? Yeah, um, th it, it's very difficult to predict aftershock sequences and the types yeah. and, the, and the faults that will be involved in aftershocks. Um, the way that we've sort of looked at this with the scenario development was that it's quite likely there'll be f um, aftershocks largely around the Alpine area, so up, up and down the Southern Alps. It may trigger other um, active faults in that area. Mm -hmm. And the way we exercise the scenario, in other words, we developed a scenario, a scenario and we took it to civil defence groups to have a look at and see what it would mean for them in their region. We kind of popped in an aftershock in their local area on a on a local active fault to kind of test them in terms of their civil defence preparedness. Yeah. And so things like the Moonlight Fault in the Queenstown Lakes area or the Teano Fault down in Fiordland, those sorts of things, they, they could experience triggered aftershocks. So mm. that was part of the process for us. And I guess uh, talking about Queenstown, I mean, the ways in and out of that place, if we're looking at the aftermath, mm. it's going to be shut down. That's right. So Queenstown's vulnerable because each of the three entry points by road are, are exposed to um, rockfall or landslide. Mm. So you've got the Devil's Staircase along the southern part of the Lake Wakatipu. You've got um, the Devil's Staircase. That's that's along there. Um, Nevis Bluff, which is a yep. notoriously um, <laughs> challenging <laughs> part. It's bad enough with no earthquake. That's yeah. right. And then the Crown Range and, and, and up and down to Glenorchy. So there are lots of places that are exposed to being closed by rockfall or, mm -hmm. um, or landslide. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, what what are you doing to prepare? How do you prepare for this type of event? Mm. I mean, um, the emergency services, um, vehicles, you know, I mean, there must be so much you have to think about. Yeah. Are, are the hospitals going to be able to withstand yeah. that type of thing? And if not, uh, do these areas have mobile hospital yeah. Already ready to be set up. Yes, that's a, look. There's, there's so much in that question. That's there's a huge <laughs> amount going on. AF8 really tried to stimulate a lot of thinking in this space. And in the first two years, we pulled together what we call the Safer Framework. And Safe is an acronym for South Island Alpine Fault Earthquake mm -hmm. Response. And so what that is is basically a way of trying to get all the civil defence groups 
uh, to coordinate and prioritise their effort because, of course, there'll be lots of places in need after an event like this and they will have to make some decisions about where they put their energy and their resource. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the Safer Framework was about. But now we've reached the, the third and into the fourth year of AF8. It's really about the groups really... Um, looking at how it might affect them in their region and their communities and trying to disseminate that down into their regions and work on community resilience projects and communication around these things. Yep. So there's a lot more work that's going on. We've just been on an AF8 roadshow which has taken the science of the Alpine Fault and the emergency preparedness messaging around um, 12, no, 14 communities around the Southern Alps in high-risk areas. And so we're trying to get the word out in a variety of ways. Of course, it's really hard to communicate with everyone, but yes. trying to work through schools and work through the communities themselves. Because, I mean, the, the biggest thing is about the individual being prepared, the household being prepared, yeah. I guess, because that's, uh, if we learn anything from Christchurch, mm. it can take quite a while for Absolutely. anyone to come anywhere near you. Yeah, exactly you right. Know, yeah, you know, and, 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 and I we're think looking at an area. <laughs> you know, that's yeah, huge. and that's the the messaging from um, the Ministry of Civil Defence now is having three days of preparedness, but we, we advocate for a much longer period of time yeah. where you're able to look after yourselves. Mm -hmm. But of course, as you say, in Christchurch, I mean, there was a huge outpouring of community spirit and support for neighbours and people got to know their neighbours yes. for the yeah. first time in some cases. Um, and also volunteerism, you know, the Student Volunteer Army. We've got uni crew at Otago, and they're mm -hmm. a fantastic resource on the ground here. And, and I expect that they'll um, be taking on, you know, volunteers to support any kind of work that needs to be done around Dunedin. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of positive uh, that comes out of these sorts of crisis situations. Of course, it's challenging for everyone, but, you know, uh, communities pull together and work together to make things uh, better as quickly as they can. It is amazing how Christchurch came together and mm. pulled together. It was uh, phenomenal. I know from living in there. I yeah, you were there, weren't you? Uh, I wasn't there. My partner was. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. My partner was. Uh, and she said, well, of course you got to know your neighbour because you're emptying your portaloo down the road <laughs> where you're supposed to empty it and then you're passing everybody for months. Correct, yeah. For absolutely. months. And yeah. that's how they all got to know each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, crazy. Um, I couldn't imagine it, um, but you know, one day we might have to um, mm. face that fact, that mm -hmm. reality, uh, and especially here in Dunedin. You know, I mean, one of the things with Christchurch was the liquefaction, mm. um, and we live on such a lot of reclaimed land. And if you're saying, you know, depending on the type of shock, I guess, if mm. it's a, um, and if we get close to the sixes or in the six, we would be looking at liquefaction, wouldn't we? Yep, there'll be pockets of liquefaction. It won't be anything like as bad as it was in Christchurch. Yep. I mean, Christchurch basically had the upper cut, upper cut from a really aggressive earthquake five kilometres underneath the surface, right mm -hmm. under the city. And um, even with the, the Darfield quake, it was really high-intensity shaking, yep. local, you know, nearby to the city. In this Alpine Fault situation, it's what we call long-duration shaking, which means it's travelling. The seismic waves have to travel a distance to get to us. Yep. So by the time they get to Dunedin, it's a sort of a rolling motion. You'll feel it more yep. as a sort of a, a swaying, rocking motion rather than the, the really aggressive vertical and horizontal accelerations they experienced in yep. Christchurch. And so while we expect some liquefaction, it won't be as extensive as, as happened in Christchurch by any means. So as the, as the wave spreads out, further they, they they get further apart from each other that's right well. yeah. yeah so yeah. you know you can kind of imagine when you throw a stone into a into a puddle yeah you know immediately there's a big impact right in the center yeah. isn't there but yeah. as the as the the puddle you know the waves go out they start to sort of slacken off a bit mm. it's called attenuation of the waves and and so by the time they get some distance away they are starting to reduce in intensity yeah 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of different to a tidal wave. <laughs> it's the other way around, I think. Kind of, yeah, well, sort of well, tidal wave isn't the term long. that we would use these days. Yeah, yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> tsunami. Yeah, I instantly thought of tidal wave. Anyway, yeah. we just need to hear Although we, yeah. um, you know, I mean, do, could we expect the east coast of Australia to be affected by that? Well, um, in, this, in the case of our Alpine Fault scenario, um, there's only a small section of the fault that's off the coast. So yeah. in order to, to generate a tsunami, you need the seafloor to be moved and shifted. Yep. And or or um, a slip. Yeah, so, and that's the other thing which we're highly likely to experience is a rockfall tsunami. So mm. imagine yourself in Milford, a slab of rock falls off the side of the steep uh, you know, edges of the fjord plunges into the into the fjord and that will generate a tsunami so it's a sort of yeah. a, a different kind of tsunami, a localized but, tsunami. Yeah, localized tsunami like you see and with, into uh, lakes as well yeah. yeah like um like you see with ice sheets yeah so we we that's certainly something we talk about in terms of the likely outcomes of a of an alpine fault event yeah wow wow so i mean where are you sitting now i mean where do you see uh, local civil defense and uh areas do you think that People, the townships are prepared. Do you mm. think we've done enough? Are we getting there? Mm. Where are we sitting? Look, I think we've come a huge long way in this whole area. I mean, I remember 20 years ago when I was a student at Otago, I was a geology student and I was on the west coast mapping a section of the Alpine Fault. That's where this whole thing really started for me because it was the, the moment of inspiration, I guess, in terms of sitting on the fault thinking, wow, when this thing goes off, what are we going to do? And, you know, there are little Maui vans pottering yeah. up and down the coast and you think, what are they, what are they going to do? Yeah. But no one was really talking about it. Civil Defence, they knew that there was an Alpine Fault risk, but there wasn't really a lot of conversation about how we were going to deal with that. And so fast forward 20 years, we've come a hugely long way in this whole area of thinking. Um, Civil Defence has now, you know, they've been working on and acknowledging that communities are going to have to look after themselves, yeah. not just with an Alpine Fault earthquake, but with any a, a number of things like floods or mm. whatever it might be, situations happen where you're going to have to deal with stuff yourself. And so they're creating these community resilience plans where, you know, um, Twizel, for example, you can you can get a, a, a booklet and it has all the things that Twizel might have to consider, all the different types of hazards and all the different um, systems in place in that community mm -hmm. to help people get back on their feet and back to back to normal. I shouldn't really say normal because it's a new normal, isn't it, after yeah, yeah, an exactly. event like that, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> um, I know you, you know, there's no way of predicting. You know the kind of basic length between them happening. Mm. Mm. Um, which is an interesting science in itself, mm. um, you know. But we are overdue, aren't we? Well, the Alpine Fault has this really remarkable um, record of earthquakes, and some amazing work was done a few years ago by a team at GNS Science and other scientists up and down the fault to really understand the past behaviour of the fault. And so we have a, a, a really good sort of story to tell around the last 8,000 years on the, on the Alpine Fault. There have been 27 earthquakes, yeah. um, and they range in time um, between events, between about 140 years and 510 years. So that's the shortest interval between events is 140, yeah. and then sometimes we wait 500 years between the next one. So at the moment we know the last earthquake was in 1717 AD, and so we're 302 years after that event. Okay. So okay. you know um, the, the probability, if you're into numbers, is 30% over the next 50 years okay. chance of another earthquake. Happening. That's a big enough percentage for me. Yeah, it's quite a chance. Um, yeah. All right. So if you were um, 
if uh, people listening now, the audience listening now, uh, they wanted to know a little bit more about the plan for their local community, mm. um, where's the best place to go to find out information? Well, I would the first port of call is the Civil Defence website. Yeah, mm-hmm. Otago Civil Defence. Um, they are um, working on those sorts of community plans that I'm, I was just mentioning before. Yeah, and they have a lot of um, the key messaging from the Ministry of Civil Defence and and EQC. They also do a lot of public education about earthquakes. So there's a lot of information you can get just from visiting that website. Um, there are lots of other ways to connect into this conversation through volunteer groups, through Red Cross, yeah. uh, through Unicrew. I mean, any kind of volunteer network is going to build resilience in terms of how we deal with this event. You know, um, Just being connected and well-informed is, is, the, is the first first thing. And then in terms of getting prepared, there are, there are loads of different um, lists of things that you could get. You know, mm-hmm. I understand students will be listening this morning <laughs> and they don't have any money to get a whole lot of extra food in the cupboard. I remember the pantry being bare most of the time in my flats. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe food storage isn't a great um, thing to aim for, but... There are lots of other ways you can get prepared. You can have a a, a, uh, a contact that you would talk to outside of the region, you know, yeah. um, to, to inform someone about what's happening to you. Because most of you guys out there might not live in Dunedin, will be from Dunedin. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there might be issues for you around um, reconnecting with your family or even not being able to get home if you're from the West Coast or if you're from, you know, Tiana or whatever it is. So thinking about... The sorts of steps you might need to take to connect with people who want to know if you're okay. Yeah. Um, let's say we don't have communications. Maybe, maybe the internet's down for a chunk of time. Maybe we've got no power. Um, and that's highly likely in some in many parts of the South Island, if not Dunedin. So have a think about some of those logistics. Yeah. You've got to remember where our power comes from. Central yeah. Targa. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, dam, the dams could well be inter- interrupted in terms of um, generation for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm. But um, they will withstand... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, I encourage everyone out there to get involved in the activities this week. The stuff happens is absolutely on the button. Stuff will happen in our lives. Yeah. And if you're ready for it, you're going to be much better able to cope with it in the aftermath. Yeah. Don't come. Don't become complacent just because it's been you know eight years since Christchurch. No, exactly. You know, right. And it's easy to do that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and um, there's free food available. If you turn up, I was just looking at the schedule. I didn't have anything to do with organising this, but on Thursday. You can get free food between 10 and 2 or something if you come down and have a yarn with some people about preparedness activities, you know. That's right. Well, there you go. So uh, learn something that's going to help you out in the future, plus get a feed. Yeah. Uh, What could be better? What could possibly be better? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you too. And um, I will see you at the festivities this week. I'll be there. Yeah, cheers. Take care. See ya. Dr. Caroline Orchester there from the AF8 project, all about readiness for the next big Alpine Fault event. Um, like we've said over the last couple of days and just then as well, go to the Civil Defence website to find out uh, all the things you need to know to be prepared for a major event in Otipoti or wherever you are uh, as well. It's very important to be prepared because it will help you and it will save lives. Uh, indeed, it is. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.